Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, he is a two-time Olympian, three-time Olympic gold medalist. He is a four-time world champion, eight-time total world champion, four-time long course world champion, NCAA champion, the first man ever under one minute and 30 seconds in the 200-yard freestyle. Today, we are sitting down with Blake Peroni. How's it going, Blake? (laughs) Good. Wow, that was quite an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Right off the bat, you got a big announcement. Uh, Blake, you want to you want to say it in your own words? Uh, yeah, so I'm retiring from the sport of swimming. Um, kind of made that decision around uh, January. I've been really happy with my career in the sport. I even from when the time I was young, I'd always wanted to go to the Olympics and achieve that dream twice. And I uh, w- was forced to take some time away from the sport due to an injury. And I kind of realized during that time that. I don't really miss swimming as much as I probably should have to kind of stay in the sport and had a lot of people telling me, oh, the next Olympics is only two years away or whatever. But really, I don't have that, uh, you know, that deep passion for the sport to be the best that I possibly could be anymore and pretty happy with my career where it is. The, it's funny because as you said, there, there's this shortened Olympic cycle and it's like, oh, you know, you could you could stick it out for just a couple more years. But If, like you said, if you're not really into it or really loving it, like two years is a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, And like, it's really hard for me to like motivate myself with like additional Olympic medals. Like that was never really a dream as a, as a kid, it was always just go to the Olympics, be an Olympian, not, oh, I need four medals or I need five medals or whatever. And so, yeah. (laughs) I know it seems kind of stupid, but that's just, that's just how it, how it was for me. Well, and and, I'll go ahead. Yeah. I just, I feel like I had accomplished that in 2016 and and 2021. So I felt, I felt pretty accomplished with my career. Did you ever, obviously you you had the injury. Can you tell me about the injury? I know you had a surgery for it. I think you were in New York for it for a while, but to tell us a little bit about this injury. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure where it came from or why it happened, but I ended up having a a piece of cartilage in my knee that was kind of um, broken off and lodged in my knee joint in kind of a a weird spot. So it was constantly giving me pain anytime that I would uh, bend past 90 degrees or put any kind of load on my right leg. And so that was just causing me a lot of issues. And I ended up needing surgery. And that was kind of a, a long process on um, figuring out what kind of surgery it would be and where it would happen. Um, USA swimming did a great job with all of that stuff. Um, ended up having surgery in, uh, Salt Lake city, Utah. It it went well, it was a arthroscopic, so they didn't have to do any kind of huge incision and flip over the kneecap, which we were initially thinking that's what was going to have to happen, which would have been like a year recovery time. But really, I only had like a, a week in crutches and then started maybe two weeks in crutches and then uh, started walking again. And now um, I got my full range of motion back. So one of the things that would signify that I had full range of motion was to be able to sit on my ankles. 
um, and to bend the knee all the way. And so now I'm back to uh, strengthening it, getting my right leg back to where my, my left leg is. <laughs> is there a noticeable difference? Oh, there was the there. I mean, you could see it and I had so much muscle waste cause I couldn't one, I couldn't strengthen it at all from long time ago when I was hurting. And then, you know, the surgery and not being able to walk and, and all that. So yeah, I was doing like leg press just the other day and then we have like an alternating leg press and my left leg can do like, you know, a hundred plus pounds on this leg press, no problem. And my right leg is just completely weak. It's at like 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, glad to hear that everything went well, that it wasn't super invasive and obviously that you're back on the men now and um, ready, ready to strengthen up again. Um, that's great. So congrats on that. Appreciate um, that. Were you training after, I guess, after Tokyo and before this injury came along, were you kind of training as normal thinking you were going to keep going? Um, not, not really. Um, uh, after Tokyo, I was pretty, I don't want to say burnt out, but I think everyone was a little bit, um, in need of a break with the you know, postponed Olympics, COVID, all the COVID craziness and everything like that. So I ended up going to the world cups, but I really wasn't like training much at all, really. Um, and then I, I came back and I don't know what, what month it was like October, November, December. And I just, I couldn't get, I couldn't get myself to, to come to practice. I just, I didn't want to go to practice. I was like, what for? I felt like I was done. I felt accomplished. And and so it was really in January where I was like, okay, I need to like, look at this and, you know, just see if I'm ready to be done or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then, like you said, ultimately, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm really not as motivated as I should be. Um, when you took some time to kind of sit down and say, is this the right time for me? Um, did anything come up from, from your career, any highlights that stuck out or just what did come up for you in that soul searching process? Um, highlights from the career has never like been like, I don't know. I don't get like a whole lot of satisfaction from like, I mean, yeah, winning NCAAs and going to the Olympics was huge. I mean, going to Olympics would probably be the biggest highlight I would say for, for me personally, but I would say one of the things that I kind of missed the most and haven't had for a long time was being part of like the IU swim team and being part of the team in general, winning our first big tens, my junior year, and then winning senior year and trying to win NCAAs as a team was, was really fulfilling personally. And I would imagine that's something that a lot of pros struggle with after you know, leaving their college days. Cause I know yeah. I had. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of funny. Cause even though you switch from being on the college team to being a professional you were still around the college team and you were, and, and I, you had a huge post-grad group still does, but, um, but what were the differences for you that really made that difference of, oh, I don't really feel like I'm with the team or I'm a part of the team, even though I'm with them, you know, I'm training with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, in some ways, like training on training with them on a daily basis kind of made it worse. Cause I, you felt like you were on the team and training with them every day. And then you're not going to any meets with them. You're going to pro swims on your own. You're getting, you know, your own hotel room, all of your stuff's on your own. You're not, I mean, maybe you're at some of the meets with them during the summer times, like nationals or things like that. But in some ways it almost makes it worse because you feel like you are on the team You're training with them every day. And there's other pros that you train with, you know um, but th that's kind of how I felt. 
Yeah. And so <clears throat> uh, you, you get the, I, I feel like that's something people don't tell you about that transition from college to being a professional. It's like, it's much more independent from just everyone I've talked to, you know, you, you kind of have to find yourself and really do it for yourself versus doing it for a team or doing it with a team. Um, was, was that something that you kind of, I don't know if struggled is the right word, but experienced throughout those three years from 2018 to 2021? Yeah, I would say so. I, I would say like the current structure of pros being with the college team is fine. I don't know if it's necessarily optimal. I don't know if there would be like another kind of structure that could be set up where it's more so just pros and pros have like their own coach and own facilities because it's just not financially viable um, for you know most professionals. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, if to compare it to NFL, it's not a great comparison, but like if you know, you graduated college and went to the NFL, but you were still like, like training and lifting and doing all this stuff with your college team. It's a little strange, <laughs> maybe not ideal. I mean, not, not strange. I don't want to say that, but I'm saying like, if there was endless amounts of money out there for swimming, that this problem could definitely be solved with, you know, I mean, you're seeing a number of people go to ASU and other other groups where a lot of pros can get together. And I, I don't know if there are like pro only practices, but I think that would make it so much harder on the college coaching staff because they're not really like getting paid any extra to coach these pros. And it's really just kind of taking away time from the college team in some ways. I mean, the college team does benefit to train with the pros and, you know, and racing them, you know, Olympians on a daily basis. Um, I don't know. I just don't, it's, it's fine. It's what we have right now. Um, and it's, it's worked. It's worked well. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it was, that was, it was interesting because we were just talking the other day about how Britain, for example, has these national training centers where you, where that's, that is what you do. You know, it's funded by, um, British swimming and the, it's professionals, you know, it's people who are not, focus or are not competing at a university team who are training for the Olympics and for world championships. And, um, it's like, it's usually smaller groups, but it is those high, really, really high caliber athletes. And, um, it is, you know, they have a, a separate coach that's just for them. Um, and we were kind of questioning why, why the U S hadn't adopted that model. Or, I mean, I think they tried to in 2010 once and it did not go well. Um, but it's just interesting how how it how it works different in different countries. Yeah, um, I, that's a good point. I I had heard that they had tried that before. I'm not sure why it wasn't so successful. Um, I would imagine it would just be the kind of resources to put towards something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it would be very popular. Um, yeah, it would be difficult to. I don't, I'm sure there are coaches out there that would want to do it. Um, it would be like kind of strange swimming for a coach, you know, your entire college career and then not, not really knowing much about the coach that this group was going to go under. I mean, there could be like a desi designated, um, I don't know what you would call them, like high performance coach where it just coaches pros that most people like, but a lot of people have different training, you know, um, training segments, how they like to train philosophies. It's, 
it'd just be it'd just be difficult, I think, in terms of the resources. Definitely. And so, yeah, I, I, I'd like to get your take on that because you were someone who did train with your college coach. Again, you guys had a great um, college team. You had a great pro group to train with. Uh, be, <laughs> I've been to Bloomington several times. It's, it's a cool town to be at. Um, and so you stayed with Ray and with, with the IU coaching staff um, throughout your career. But then you also did things like go to the World Cup or compete in ISL where I'm guessing you were either coaching yourself or communicating with other coaches, but you know, you're kind of in charge of yourself or with ISL, you kind of got to experience different coaches. So what do you think, what do you think you gain from, um, going to another coach or, or being coached by other coaches? And do you think swimmers would do that? Right. That's kind of the question because a lot of swimmers do stay with their college coaches because that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. I think swimmers would do that, like to answer the second part of your question, but like kind of when you go to these things like world cups and ISL, the other coaches that you're kind of getting directions from aren't really writing like a season's worth of practices for you. So they're like, you're not really sure. I mean, they're kind of giving more vanilla practices that most people would write, I would say. And that's mostly just because they don't want to try any of their I don't know, secret practices or any kind of their trademark sets or anything like that on you because what you've done so far has already worked. So I don't know. It would just be, it's a little bit different from ISL and World Cups because you don't have a full season of, um, you know, practices and, and, and weights really too. I almost never have a coach write any kind of lifting a dry land program for you outside of your home coach. Yeah. Are, are there any, looking back, are there any coaches that you wish you could have had an opportunity to train with either for a few weeks or for a season or for a quad or anything like that? Um, yeah, probably. I would have liked to train with a bunch of them. I mean, it's kind of silly from their perspective is like, why would I let this guy come in and train with our group for three weeks kind of thing, or, you know, like a month, it, that would be kind of difficult. Um, I, I wouldn't name like any names, but there's a bunch of coaches, you know, that, uh, um, led top 10 NCAA programs that I would have loved to train with for like a month or, or plus, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, looking back on your career, I know you, you, you said you weren't big into highlights. Um, but do, do you feel like, uh, there are lessons that stick out to you or just things that you learned throughout this career, um, that you'll take with you beyond swimming, uh, whatever, whatever direction you're going in. Yeah. I think there's some lessons that I kind of learned about myself and then more like, you know, obviously there's generic lessons like work hard and that kind of thing. But, um, several lessons that I kind of learned about myself, I would say is I, I, one, I really like being a part of small teams, um, and teams that are highly motivated to, achieve whatever goal is set forward. Um, yeah. And then I realized that I could always kind of get more out of myself when the team is relying on you for something. It's kind of one of the reasons I liked relay so much and being on teams like, you know, USA national teams. Um, so I feel like I learned a lot about myself through the kind of eight years, I would say, well, maybe plus for high school, college and, and professional, um, other generic, I mean, kind of things that everyone learns, obviously time management. I would say that the 
Um, student athlete portion of my life so far has probably been the most difficult um, on all fronts with um, school, swimming, social life, whatever. Um, that was the most difficult. And some people think that, I mean, it, your schedule gets much easier once you become a professional. Um, and that's good and bad. You have to be even more diligent about doing the things that you're supposed to. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot of those kind of normal lessons that most people would learn just from being on a, on a team in college. Yeah. One of those small teams that, uh, you were on was the Mizuno family. You were sponsored by Mizuno. You're repping them right now. Um, what was it like to be a part of, of a suit company like Mizuno that, is is so infamous for their suits um in the college racing world on the international racing stage um i i feel like you were one of the first people who wore mizuno for a long long time and then finally was was sponsored by them you know announced to deal with them um can you tell us about your partnership with them throughout that pro career of yours yeah that that meant a lot to me and i Basically, I think I started wearing their suits um, maybe in December of 2016 at Short Course Worlds. And I wore the suit and I had a great Short Course Worlds. And I was like, oh, this suit is different than any of the ones I've had before. And I had tried like all the suits at the time. And um, yeah, I just had kept wearing them and happy to have that partnership after I graduated college. And they've been there for me every step of the way and whatever I needed in terms of suits or any kind of... Um, you know, support. And I've just always loved their suit. So it was a pretty easy decision on, on my side. Yeah. I, th I think there were a few athletes and certainly a lot of fans who were really excited and um, honestly, a little jealous. They're like, Oh man, <laughs> now, now Blake, you know, gets to wear Mizuno, which I, the, the undercurrent, I don't want to nix anything, but the undercurrent is like it, 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 there's a good chance that's the best suit on the market, at least for the men, um, in terms of racing. And yeah. so, um, it's, it's funny. Cause a lot of the college teams like at NCAAs have to wear whatever suit their college is sponsored by. And you know how many times there'd be people going out being like, I would have won if I, or no, I don't know if they would have <laughs> won, but like they want to wear as you know, and they're not allowed to. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, uh, it's that's I feel like you were again one of the the first ones who actually got to wear Mizuno because you were sponsored by them, right. which made it which made it even cooler. Um, just other parts of your that pro career of yours. Um, what do you feel like you learned in terms of being able to navigate? You mentioned just being more diligent um, than when you were a student athlete because your schedule frees up. Um, obviously, you have to kind of navigate being on your own versus being on a team in terms of just the social aspect and the travel aspect. But are there any other parts of your pro career that you would like to share about if, you know, if someone's like, Oh, what should I expect if I get that opportunity to extend my career past college or, or high school or whatever their next step is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I can share a few things that I, th I think I've learned or that I have learned. I, I would say that there's a larger sense of ownership in the way that kind of all of your success and failures kind of are on your shoulders and there's, you know, no one's going to make you come to practice. You're not going to get in trouble by anyone, but if you want to go best times, you want to make these teams, you better show up and put, you know, as much work in as possible. And really all of that ownership lays on your shoulders. It's completely up to you. Um, so that can come with a heavy weight to it. Um, some people love it. 
Um, I, I liked it a lot because I felt like all of my um, successes were directly attributed to my effort. Um, some of the other things that I, I learned just kind of a lot about the world. I mean, traveling to different countries by myself. Um, that was one of the, I think in 2018 was one of the first times I had ever flown international by myself. No one that I knew like waiting on the other side for me, I just had to get an Uber to the, to the hotel. Like when I landed and I think it was in Russia and, uh, <laughs> it was kind of like eye-opening experience. Just, yeah, I mean, I'm on my own, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, maybe, it, maybe it taught me a little bit, um, how to be more independent. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Was, I, I'm kind of curious, is there, um, a, a part of your career that stands out to you that was the hardest or the hardest to get through, um, just in terms of physically or mentally motivation wise, you know, where you were at in life outside of the pool, whatever it was, was, was there, was there a, period in your career where you're like, man, this, this was tough, but I, I did get through it. I think for me, the hardest parts of my swimming career were always when kind of friendships were lost because I kept going on in swimming and other people kind of dropped out of the sport. And like, when you're, when you're a student athlete, there's not a lot of time for people that aren't really in swimming. I mean, it's, it's tough to, have relationships outside of swimming, just kind of with anybody. And, and, you know, the people that we lost, um, from the team, my four years in undergrad were probably the hardest years, not, not necessarily physically. Um, but that was always challenging mentally. It's like, I'm, you know, I still love swimming. I'm going to move forward in the sport, but it's really hard to see when your friends kind of leave the sport and they don't have any, you know, I don't know, they hate the sport or they just have a, negative connotation to it when they leave, but it's hard to maintain those relationships. It's, it's really hard. Um, so that'd be the, the hardest part for me F physically. Um, probably just like the November, December, January, like training parts, um, each year, um, especially in Indiana, it can get pretty gray and, uh, cold and don't see the sun a whole lot. I, I, I much prefer swimming outside. Um, so those months were always hard every year, but it wasn't, it wasn't too crazy because you knew it would end. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes sense to me that it would be really difficult to um, connect with other people, especially when you're still heavily involved in the sport. Uh, you know, those people who do drop off and have a sour taste in their mouth from swimming, because it is really hard and it can be really monotonous and, uh, I, I see how people get burnt out all the time. And, um, yeah, that's, I feel like that's something we don't talk about very much is, is maintaining those friendships or losing those friendships just because again, you, you, you went through every stage of the sport. You, you were swimming at a high level in high school, you swam in college, you were professional. And like you said, every step along the way, you have people who, who are not taking those steps with you. Right. And I mean, you are gaining more friends like in the sport of swimming as you go to, um, you know, meets with USA Swimming or Olympic Games, things like that. But when you get, I mean, there's a big world out there outside of the sport of swimming and the sport of swimming is kind of small. And like when you go meet with these other people, you realize how like, oh, all you really have to talk about with them is swimming and they don't know anything about swimming. And it's like, what else do you have to talk about? 
And that was kind of weird. It's like, so how's your day going? <laughs> you know, kind of, you're going to talk about something, you know, like this person <laughs> went this time, blah, 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 blah. And it, it's tough. I don't really have much advice on this thing. It's like relationships are hard, um, especially when, when, you know, th- when someone leaves the sport, not necessarily on the best terms, you're not going to want to call them up and be like, Hey, do you want to talk about swimming? And they'll be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, okay. Well, I have to ask, speaking of swimming, uh, <laughs> did you watch world championships and or European championships? Um, I didn't watch uh, many of the races, but I followed the results a little bit. Um, yeah, not, not, not as closely as I, um, would typically have, but, uh, I saw a lot of the, you know, the world records, the 17 year old kid that's on fire. 142 is just, that's mind boggling, especially, you know, geez. Yeah. Is that what you were referencing or? Any kind <laughs> oh of- yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, as, as someone who did the hundred and 200 freestyle long course, just, yeah, I wanted to get, it was wondering if you had any specific thoughts on, 17 year old David Popovich and his, his world record hundred free is one forty two nine two hundred free. That's, that's crazy. Cause I, I don't, I mean, yes, he broke the world record in the hundred and not in the 200, but to me, I think maybe the 200 is like more impressive. Just, I don't know, maybe cause I think the 200 is harder, but it just seems like his stroke is perfect and he's so strong and he just grabs so much water. I, like I said, I didn't watch all the races, but um, yeah, pretty amazing swims. I, I agree, especially, or I, I can definitely see where you're coming from, especially because so many people have gotten so close to that world record. Like we've seen mm. five right. different guys go 47, one or better, I think. Um, and so it, you know, people have been kind of knocking on the door, but we've seen one guy go 143, one, we've seen one guy go 143 since 2009. And now. Yeah. David's the second. And I watched, was it, I don't know if it was in 2008 or 2009 when, I think it was in 2008 when Michael went 142.9. And that was such a dominating swim. I mean, it was like he won by a ton and it was a super suited. I mean, it was a super suited record from Michael Phelps, like in the Olympics when he won eight golds and a 17 year old kid just went faster in a textile suit. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yep. I saw that and I said, yeah, I'm retiring. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the stick that broke the camel's back. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nowhere to go from here. <laughs> um, but speaking of, of where you're going from here next, what, what is the plan? You know, so you, you, you made this decision in January. Um, and obviously you've kind of been, um, citing it for a while now, but you're announcing it now. And so do you have plans for the future outside of the pool? Yeah, I've actually been working with a, um, private equity real estate company in Indianapolis. So it's about like an hour North of, you've been to Bloomington, um, hour North of, of Bloomington, um, that I've, I've really enjoyed. Um, I, like I said earlier, I really like working with small teams and there's 10 of us right now. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. People ask, like, how did you make the transition from swimming to real estate? And uh, I say, I don't really know. But now my my dad and grandfather have uh, owned and operated uh, kind of single family homes and duplexes for a long time. So I grew up 
like fixing up rental houses and duplex and painting walls and things like that. So I was kind of exposed to it from a young age. Um, and then, yeah, just really kind of hit it off with this company and it's been doing great and I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, what, what, so what's your timeline on that in terms of when did you start with them and is this something that you had sought out or did it just kind of fall into place? Yeah, I hadn't really sought, sought it out at all. It was kind of just, um, connected through a family friend. Um, and I started, I don't know, actually in January. Um, so been there about eight months now. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really seek it out at all. Um, it's funny because like I don't even have a resume. I don't. I never like made one. I don't know what I would put on it. Yeah, like, went to the Olympic Games. Is that like that's not related to anything at all? <laughs> I have a degree in biology. That's not <laughs> related at all. But uh, yeah, just pretty grateful that uh, Spencer, the founder president, took me in, and that it's it's worked well so far. So this may not be a great example of this, but. Uh, some uh, a topic that's discussed more i think now is life after swimming and like preparing you know from your professional career as a swimmer to your professional career as literally anything else aside from an athlete um had you thought about that when you obviously when you thought about retiring it's like did you think about what was next or did you have an idea of what you wanted to do before this opportunity came along no, I hadn't really thought if I did think about it, it wasn't very hard not for, and not for very long. Um, I, I had tossed around the idea of coaching because um, I, I still love swimming and I still want to be around the sport in some capacity. So I had thought about the idea of coaching, just kind of decided against it. It's, it's a tough gig. Um, and uh, so th- those are really, yeah, that's really the only thing I had thought about. Um, maybe I should have thought about it more when I was in college and I don't know. I, it's kind of weird. Like if you're planning stuff after you're done, you're putting some effort and energy towards, you know, life after swimming, I guess it's definitely something that you should do. But uh, I think when you're in it, you got to pour your heart and soul into swimming and just live in that world as, you know, get as good as you can try as hard as you possibly can. And I don't know, for me, I'm just kind of person. I'll pick my head up and look around when I'm done kind of, kind of person that's not advice though i mean that's probably not a good idea (laughs) don't take any of my advice that you've heard (laughs) that's that's blake peroni yeah (laughs) um so i am curious you you said you got a degree in biology was there a reason for that specific degree yeah initially when i went to school i thought I wanted to go into healthcare. Um, my mom is a nurse practitioner and for a number of years, she worked in the emergency room and I shadowed her and, um, just in the emergency room, uh, a bit when I was in high school and I liked it a lot and I still kind of like it. But, um, after I made my first Olympic team in 2016, I realized I was like, I, I'm going to just struggle through to finish my undergrad. I don't want to go back to school after you know, whatever. I was thinking of being a physician assistant, which I think is only two years after um, your undergraduate degree. But I, yeah, at the time I was so ready to be done with school. I really wanted to focus on swimming and put all my time into that. Um, so yeah, didn't, didn't go down that path. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> um, I hear you. I was not, a school and a 
educated, motivated person. <laughs> yeah. And by the time you yeah. get to college, you've already been in school for so long. I feel like it was the only thing I'd ever done. Like the idea of more school after college, I just, I don't want to be like a permanent student, you know? <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And I think getting a rest from that for a while helps too. you know, it's like, okay, well maybe I'll go back to school later. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, I, I would like a, a break from it. Like you said, you're, you're in school from age five to 18. And then the four more years after that. And then like, Oh, now, and now it's more. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It is um, a lot. <laughs> well, uh, Blake, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and chat with us about your career and, and what you've taken away. Um, is there anything we've missed? Do you have any parting thoughts before we sign off today? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, like I said, I still, I mean, I still like the sport of swimming. I still watch results and everything like that. So if there's anything you want me to do or come in and give my two cents on anything that's happening, I'm more than happy to do that. Oh yeah. We'll definitely have you on got a lot of time one now. thing or another. Yeah. <laughs> You're just doing real estate stuff. You've got plenty <laughs> yeah. of time yeah. to come on and, and commentate for us. So, oh, I could we'll commentate some of the Bobby Fink finishes. Those would be fun. <laughs> That He's would... a 50 behind, but don't worry. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm pretty sure you have a you have a great Rowdy Gaines impression, right? I get it from Caleb, actually. Have you heard Caleb's? <laughs> I think I've heard about Caleb's. Okay, okay. I think I just impersonate Caleb's version of Rowdy because Caleb's is good. <laughs> it's really good. We'll have to we'll have to get that on camera one day. Yeah, you gotta but... you gotta get him on the podcast and have him do it. <laughs> that sounds awesome um well yeah again blake thank you for taking the time and it's always great talking to you no problem happy to talk with you you've been listening to the swim swim podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week you can take swim swim podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel for more videos as well